We all love an impressive performance on the field. And now, thanks to our latest sponsor, Pilot, you can have an impressive performance in the bedroom too. Pilot provides Aussie men with the clinical tools to treat bedroom issues like erectile dysfunction and premature ejaculation. Not a fan of the doctor's office? Pilot is all online, so you can sort it out right now over the phone, and with free delivery Australia-wide, you can be back on your game in no time. Head to pilot.com.au today and get started. Play hard until the final whistle with Pilot. Aces, I know I always talk about the Rixies, but I've got to offer you the discount again in case you've forgotten or in case you're sleeping under a rock. We have a special discount code for everyone that listens to this podcast or watch the podcast. It's ACES. Head online to rickseyewear.com.au and use the discount code ACES and you'll get 20% off. That's right, 20% off, one-fifth at checkout and free express shipping. So head online, rickseyewear.com.au and check it out. All right, do we have a big show for you today? Let's get stuck into it. Without further ado, our first guest for Only Sport, a big one, the Wildcat. Last time you might have seen him, he's on fire. We love listening to this man, Joe Watson, in the building. Wispy, welcome to Only Sport, and thank you for kicking it off with episode one. No problem, Tommy. Thank you for having me. A brand new concept where we talk about sport as the athlete, uh, now retired, but plenty of stories and uh, plenty to discover, and also as the fan. So, sports that you love, why you love them. Um, we're loving this concept. We've been working on it for a while now and uh, thought, who else can we kick it off with than uh, the great man? How you been? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. I'm just uh, getting ready for the the Christmas rush. The the year's ending pretty quickly and summer is around the corner, although it doesn't feel like that today in Melbourne. It's uh, pretty miserable. I know. As we record this podcast, what are we, it's the start of December and it's pissing down rain. It's it's quite, uh, it's crazy. Well, it's not, what's not La Nina? It's La Nino. Is it La Nino? What's the, do you know? Uh, El Nino El and Nino. La Nina. Aren't we meant to be getting? I think it's La Nina at La the moment, Nina. isn't it? Which is going to, I thought it, we just came out of a wet summer yeah. period and we were about to turn into a dry one, but uh doesn't seem so. i have to get onto the Bureau of Meteorology and just find <laughs> out where we're at with that one. Mate, let's kick it off. We'll start with on the field. So as the athlete, um, and we'll get to as the fan later, but all about only sport. Um, and I want to go right back to when you were a kid. What initially drew you to sport? Um, and, you know, in particular, what sports were you playing as a young fella? Uh, well, I played everything. And I, I just loved being outside and, and, and playing. And I was I was a really competitive kid um, and like a bad loser too. I was a real sore <laughs> loser. So I had a few run-ins, especially with my old man. One day he saw me playing tennis and I and I lost um, the tennis game to my older cousin. I smashed the racket and he um, he saw me and I was walking across the paddock down at the farm and he took, called me over. He said uh, it was coming up to my birthday and I wanted this new cricket bat. And he said, "You, I'm not getting you your cricket bat because that's the way you treat your um, uh, you know, your product. Um, and that was it. So uh, I had to sulk about it for a while. And then I had to sa- the lesson was I had to save up my own money to to buy the cricket bat. And um, and it taught me a valuable lesson about not, um, you know, not being uh, spoiled. Damaging the goods. Gee, Timmy's is a harsh man. <laughs> it's a great lesson though, isn't it? Is, it? Yeah. Will you palm that off to your kids when they carry on if they do something similar? Absolutely. And and also like you, you valued, uh, I remember the, this, um, this cricket bat I got, uh, um, you know, it was a uh, one of the, a grey nickels optimum. Um, I still remember it. I remember, you know, like uh, knocking it knocking in, in yeah. and putting the oil on, and, yeah. and it was. I saved up for it. Was it, and, uh, was it cashmere or English willow? No, it was an English willow. Oh, so it was it was proper the premium. One. Limited edition uh, thousand was the, the yep. sign of it, and uh, I, and so I'd spent all this time saving up to buy it. Um, used it first time. Went out there to bat. Old golden duck. I could hear my mum laughing in the crowd on the sideline as I'm walking off. <laughs> that is so stiff. Bit of karma for just damaging the tenant all your products. Yeah, yeah. What I'm trying to think. What I had the, I had the Millennium, but it was the um, my old man gave me the cashmere just to start oh, off. He? he goes, "You can work your way through the bat." And I think I got the beast. I think yeah. Brett Lee hit. Uh, I think he might have won the game off his own bat, and he had that big sticker on the back, the beast, but. That's hilarious. How old will you be there? I was uh, I was in grade seven. Yep. 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 So, yeah, a, a, a bit of a rat bag in terms of uh, not a great loser. 
And uh, I learned a valuable lesson about uh, not taking it out on the goods. Fantastic. <laughs> and how many sports were you playing? Like when you're when you're a kid? No, everything. So loved basketball, um, footy obviously in the winter, cricket in the summer, basketball all year round. They were probably the three. Loved tennis. We had a tennis court down at the farm, and uh, used to play over the summer all the time as well. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. And if AFL wasn't around, um, like just say that never existed. Do you think you could have pursued one of those other sports and which one would have it been? I don't think I would have made it professionally. Um, I, I loved basketball, but I probably wouldn't have been tall enough to play it. But, um, yeah, I, cricket and, and basketball I loved when I was younger. And, um, yeah, I did play a lot of tennis as well. You're a wise man. Break down each sport and what you learned. Because every sport, there's definitely um, certain things that you pick up that can kind of help, you know, when you go to AFL, there's things that you would have picked up from basketball. But if you break down cricket and, you know, basketball, footy, tennis, what are some of the things that you really look back on and go, I'm really grateful that I played that because it helped me with this or that? Oh, I think particularly bas- basketball is the one that translates the most for for footy and then the position that I sort of played in football where you're always around congestion. Um, so... Basketball, I think there was a lot of um, a lot of that that translated into AFL, and um, particularly around spatial awareness and and sort of getting uh, allowing people to to use up space uh, or, or putting them into space. So basketball is a lot, you know, like if you're playing against a team that's playing a zone or um, the the parameters and the diameters of the the ground, uh, the court are a lot smaller, but you had to be able to see things. And, and, and almost uh, throw things open. And I found that that really helped, particularly around stoppages in football. So you'd almost be passing the ball to where you wanted someone to go rather than to where they were. Um, and I felt like that was a, there was a lot of um, similarities between the two. Yeah, love it. And which one did you enjoy the most as a kid? I loved playing basketball as a kid. Yeah, I really yeah. did. Uh, footy probably came later. Did you, do you still play now? No. Would you no. play pickup if we got a team down at Albert Park? Yeah, yeah, I would play pickup. Yeah, yeah, I do like it. It's just been a bit of a time thing, but now, um, sort of out, out, to getting out of that like newborn phase, so got a little bit more flexibility. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. I think we need to do something. I've got a few mates that do it in Sydney, and um, I've only got one start, and they had they had too many last time I was up there, so I was just on the content. I was doing oh, the video, right. and it was very funny. But great sweat. Like just rolling in and, yep. you know, when like trying to go for a workout these days, it's a genuine like got to do it, force yourself. Yes. But when you're playing basketball, you're just dripping. It's, yeah. I think yep. it's something that we both should um, get back into. The shuttle runs. We used to do a couple of um, like those tests for uh, for training um, with footy and uh, the, the shuttle uh, runs. They're, they're not easy. No, Same as not. the tennis court, I guess. Whisper, you know when you're growing up and you're playing a lot of sport and it's starting to go well for you, were there any sacrifices that you made that you still remember to this day that you could share with everyone and you kind of held you in good stead? I remember a particular summer. Um, it was when I was 15 years old and uh, I really um, committed to, to my fitness. I was going into the under-16 sort of year. Um, so what was that for me? Year 11. Um and uh, I remember the summer where I made a commitment to myself to just work on my endurance. And so that was a like a daily thing, 30 days in a row of five-kilometer runs just to build a fitness base for myself, which just allowed me to progress and to come back when I started sort of training a little bit more to be in a much better, um, I guess, uh, level than what I had previously. So that was a specific time where I remember being, okay, let's let's commit to something over a summer period um, to try and improve my uh, work rate. Is that like self-commitment? Is that something that you're like, I want to get better, spoke to some people, or you just said, no, nah, I'm going to do this, it's my way, um, and it'll be something that like I know that I'm you know, trying to achieve something and everyone else is out there doing something else? Um. Or did someone help you with that program? Yeah, I mean, I spoke to my old man about it at the time, and he was like, I think, um, you know, this would be good good for you. And he actually said to me, like, that was something that I used to do, was try and get um, fit over the summer. And, uh, you know, like uh, that Christmas break is a great opportunity to, to sort of improve yourself. And, you, you know, if you're doing something that someone else might not be able to, you get an advantage. With the sacrifices, though, as you're going through school, the later years, you, you know, you'd be silly to say that people aren't, you know, starting to probably break a few rules at 17 and it's there's a lot of distractions and a lot of people are having a lot of fun. Yep. Um, how hard was it to reject a lot of that or were you? was it easy for you? Um, yeah, I think it was just about a balance. Like I always 
liked to be able to have a good time and, and go out with friends, and I think it's important. Um, and I think that that that's the key to it because um, you know if you if you starve yourself of something, then in, invariably you sort of start to um, overcompensate. Um, so I think it's really important as uh, for kids. Um, going through that is that they get to experience different things um, and not just completely deny themselves of it. Uh, and that was sort of the approach that I had was that, um, you know, it, di- it didn't bother me working hard or, or committing more to it if if there was other things that I could do. I think that, um, you know, having that balance was really important. Yeah, that's actually well said. So it's actually going to the parties, having fun, you know, not saying no to everything and yeah, staying at home. Socialising. Actually going, yeah. behaving, you know, if they're going to break the rules, have a drink at bit underage or something like that, you just, you're not, you're not doing that, but at least you can still engage with your mates. Well, knowing. yeah, that's right. I think it's really important. And especially when, you, when you're going into team um, sports, it's, it's very important to be able to socially interact with people because um, that's, you know, you've been part of organizations, culture is so important. And so if you haven't developed those skills of interaction um, as an adolescence, when you translate into a professional environment, it's actually a really important skill set to have. Um, so I think you need to cultivate it when you're younger as well. And um, and balance is equally as important in a professional capacity too. Mm. You need to have balance. You need to be able to know when you can switch off and, and do it um, responsibly. Uh, if you spend your whole adolescence denying yourself that, then you actually haven't got the skills to be able to approach it properly and, and sensibly. And looking back uh, while you're speaking, there have been players or people that I've played with that haven't made it, but they've done that. They've blocked yeah. all that stuff and been so professional. And then I reckon later on, they kind of go the other way. <coughs> they kind of go, oh, well, and, and a bit reckless. And yeah. it's probably because they've just, yeah, like you said, they've starved themselves of that balance. So it's a great point that you um that you talk about. Let's talk about challenges. You've had a few in your career. I want to know what your biggest challenge was as an athlete and how you overcome it. Um, I think my, my biggest challenge was to uh, to get myself to a professional um, level of uh, fitness, really. Uh, that was that was the thing that was holding me back, um, particularly in my first few years of uh, of the AFL and, um, and being able to overcome that um, and, and utilize – uh, external parties and coaches and things like that that were able to facilitate that was really the um, the biggest challenge that I faced. Yeah, were you really doubting yourself there? I always had a huge amount of self belief that I was good enough to play, um, but I probably was just um, ignorant as to the um, the level of, of work that I needed to do, um, and that was. The the big shift was having this um, relationship with Ray Giles, who was the boxing coach, who really just um, you know taught me how to push push myself, and and he was a, a great uh, coach of, of people, the mind and and the the body, and and I was very fortunate that he took um, the time and the effort to um, you know to spend with me and, and and taught me how to to train. Did you think you had a bit of a fixed mindset before it? Like, were you kind of like what, think about before and after. Yeah, the way he broke you down. Were there moments where you're like, "I've got nothing left," but then he's like, "No, no, you got more." Like, break, give me the detail of maybe one session that you're like, "I look back on that one session and go, wow." Yeah, I remember. Um, like he, he, I remember being in the boxing ring, and and he would just be. I, I'd train with his other fighters, and so I'd be sparring, or we'd be doing um, like uh, box jumps just around the ring like three-minute rounds, just jumping, 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 keep going, keep going, keep going until like you're falling over, like you, you can't sort of stand up straight because so much lactic acid and then you just say, oh, I reckon you've got more in you, you know, like I think you can just keep going. And and so he was such an accommodating uh, fellow, he's such an accommodating fellow that you never wanted to, to let him down, you know, and he never asked for anything in return. He was just there to give up his time. And so I never felt like I wanted to, I never wanted to quit in front of him, you know, like I never wanted, and it wasn't so much for myself that that came after, but it was about, um, you know, the respect that I had for him. You know, I never wanted to say this was enough, you know, and he would always, um, he'd always recognize when he'd taken you to a point of exhaustion and he never pushed you to an irresponsible level, but it was uh, the kind of person there that you, you never wanted to quit on. Um, and and I think that, uh, you know, that is a great um it's a great 
quality to have as someone who's in a position of power that you can establish that kind of um, sense or, or um, feeling that the people that you're coaching is that they never want to quit on you. That's a great point because there are there are definitely people out there that don't have that um, awareness of going, we're pushing him too far now and this is yeah. getting out of hand. How, how did you, like, how, looking back now, how did he recognize, is he just, was it just experience or, you know, like even you, like, was there a time where you just gone? He's like, all right, Job, that's enough. We've done enough. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it's a great skill to have because there are people out there that, you know, we've all dealt with strength and conditioning coaches yes. where you're running and you go, how much more to go? And they don't tell you and you, it wigs you out a bit because you're like, mate, we're actually all stuffed here. And it's just to the letter of the law where you're like, mate, I'm actually fatigued. Yeah. But clearly he's got that, you know, that knack of reading the play there. Yeah. What, what, like, what do you put that down to? Because there'd be well, coaches listening right now and they'd go, oh, I wouldn't mind, you know, being like that. Yeah. I, th- I think it's an experience and it's about the, the relationship that you s- establish with the person that you're coaching. Um, you know, Ray, Ray was great at training your mind, you know, like he, he, he wouldn't say like, we've got six reps, we've got six rounds to go. We've got 10 rounds to go. He'd just say, I, I just want you to give me everything you've got each time. And so that was the mentality that you had. And, you know, whether he was counting um, the punches that you threw in a round or the, the amount of jumps that you, you'd done or the, um, the kind of work that you, you were doing. And then once you, he sort of taught you that, you know, pain was something that you could put up with and pain was what you could tra- uh, train through, then you were able to push yourself even further and further and further. But he, he would never – he was able to establish that mentality first, you know, like this is what you can do. This is what you probably – you didn't realise how hard you could push yourself. Um, and most people don't. No one wants to really push themselves to a, a point of being uncomfortable or feeling – um, you know, uh, feeling bad uh, physically. Mm. But um, when you start doing it and realizing that you can keep going, it becomes a very powerful um, mental switch. It does. Can you give me, um, I want to stay here because this is like, I find this interesting. Give me the hardest session you did with him that you still look back and go, I just never want to do that again. <laughs> um, well, he, he would do like I remember, because um, I used to have to follow the other fighters around the the, um, the ring, and my feet were so blistered from turning all the time because you you'd do shadow boxing with each other, but then you'd walk at each other and they have to spin off at, like a fighter would, as if you're sort of deflecting and moving out of the way. And I remember both um, sides of my feet were just torn with blisters because of that, that shifting all, all the time. And my, I, my body wasn't as used to it as what a fighter would. Uh, and then you, you're going down and um, you're doing these frog jumps just around the ring, just constantly, and then you'd be backwards, you, you're making the ring, going around it, just keep going, keep going, keep going, and and then on to the bags and you count the fight, uh, count the punches that you'd throw each round and you just had to um, increase it every round. Um, and then you'd go back to sparring, uh, and then uh, back to um, all sorts of stuff. You carry each other around the ring. <laughs> they, I mean, they were fantastic um, sessions, but uh, you're just exhausted afterwards. Yeah, blisters are un- like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. when you said blisters, they are. People don't realize once you get a blister, it's almost game over. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like hard, it's it, hard to move your mind past it, yeah. especially under the feet. Like yeah. when you got a heel, you can somewhat get away with it. You can wrap that thing up, yeah. but when it's under your foot, yeah. it is. It's like <laughs> every time you bounce on it, you're like blister, blister, yeah. blister. I had two. I've got two flat feet, like pancake flat feet, and so there's a big surface area. So if I get one, then it's like the whole foot ca- <laughs> cops it. <laughs> no, that's um, that's incredible insight. I, uh, I yeah. We've all been broken down, but the boxing side of things and um, the sessions out there, like yeah, it's just good to get the details of um, of that. Let's let's flip the switch here. Let's go. That, that was challenging. Let's talk about memorable. You know, it's hard to put it down to one. So you got a few, but what's one of the most memorable moments that you look back on your career, um, individually, collectively? You know, that you still just think I'm pretty proud of that, and that was a pretty cool moment. Um, I loved our uh, our training trips to to Colorado. Um, we went on some um, boulder trips, uh, particularly, and um, I loved the whole uh, high altitude training. And I remember a specific. Um, we did a. There was a group of us, about twelve of us, who went, um, and uh, we did this really hard hills running session. And it's you know cold there at that time of the year, snowing, and so we fin- finished this hill run, and then um, the fitness with a guy called uh, Justin Crow. He said, okay, we're going hiking now. So we all go on this bus and then we start hiking up this hill. 
and he goes, um, we're getting higher and higher and higher and the conditions are getting worse and worse and worse. And I start getting really bad altitude sickness. Like I get this thumping headache and I just can't, I can't sort of see and I'm sort of stumbling and, and we're getting higher and higher and higher. And in the end, it's like complete blizzard conditions. And uh, we get to um, this, this high point and he stops us and he says, guys, we've just reached the, the highest altitude that any, any, any team's ever got to. Um, and I was sitting there and I, I turned to him in front of about 10 guys and I'm the captain at the time, right? And I said, Crowy, I don't give a fuck how high we are. If you make us walk another step, I'm going to knock your fucking head off. <laughs> and my, my head was just thumping with his headache and I couldn't, I couldn't even see at that stage and <laughs> and so I bro- that broke me. I was just like, I can't altitude sickness. I can't do this anymore. So we took a photo. We walked back down. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> you blew shit on the beers after that? Uh, not not that Were night. Boys get in India. Yeah, well, you, well, I caught up. We had a, a dinner a, about a week ago for uh, Michael Hibbert's retirement. Oh, I saw the crew and, there. Yeah, and that um, that story got uh, brought up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, that is funny. That yeah. is funny. And as the skipper, like you know, you're not meant, you're not meant to show weakness. But nah, that's, that's right. That's, that's true leadership. Because someone else, prompted, did anyone else say, mate? Thank God you said that because I was like Hibbo would have been struggling. Yeah, surely. well, Hibbo was struggling. He just didn't say anything. But, um, yeah, Goody was on that. Uh, he was there. He's still. Laughs oh, at that it as is, well. That is that is so <laughs> funny, man. Those things are great. Oh, so you got the record still? Uh, I don't know if someone su- um, superseded it, but uh, at that time, because Crowe had done all the, the treks with Collingwood, so he yeah. he had no, he knew how high they'd gone. That is a cracker. Well done. Well said. <laughs> um, just for aspiring athletes that want to take you know a similar route to you and following your footsteps. I know you've given advice before on the podcast that we've done, but is there some? Is there one other bit of advice that you'd give um, around sport in general and playing? You know, you, you've kind of mentioned it earlier about playing a few, but any advice um, to do with sport and 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 kind of young kids? I, th- I think it's just it's really important to to really stay um, humble um, and and have that mentality as you progress because um, that that will unlock your appetite for to seeking more knowledge and improvement. So I think if, the, if that, that mentality is there, then um, you can just continually get better um, because you have that sort of thinking about you. And I was, you know, um, you know, Charlie Munger, who, who passed away today, um, you know, I, I watched a clip about him and he was just talking about just constantly wanting to learn and, and constantly wanting to get better. And, you know, Whenever you you see or, or listen to someone who has been really successful, they sort of have that approach about the that that idea of just wanting to always seek more knowledge, um, and that will lead to more improvement and, and typically better results. That's great advice. Stay humble, seek more knowledge, and you know, be coachable kind of thing. Mm. That's great. Last one on um, on you as the athlete before we have a halftime uh, break with our friends at Pilot. How do you handle pressure in high stakes uh, situations during a game or in competition or in business? How do you do it? Do you have any triggers? Um, what do you, you know, what are your, um, what's your advice to handling these high pressure moments? Because you would have handled a lot, and also to block out that external noise, which there's no doubt heaps of it. Whether you know when you're a really good player, everyone's got a target on your head. Um, whether it's external, other teams, media, whatever, pressure of being a captain. But what was the one thing that you kind of went back to um, in those situations? Um, pressure for me was always uh, linked to preparation. So um, I remember in my first couple of years, I was always sort of nervous about playing and performing. And then once I started to uh, to train harder, it never became a problem for me. Um, and that was – that. And I think it was the the secret and, and unlocking that was um, I felt more pressure when I was worried about my preparation. When I when I didn't have any concerns about preparation, then it was just about performance, and it wasn't there wasn't any negative connotation about um, how am I going to perform um, or worried about things that are that I couldn't control because I was really deep down I was worried that I hadn't prepared myself well. When when you do prepare yourself well, I always found that I never was worried about um, performance. Preparing well, give me examples for you. What was preparing well? 
um, well, physically being in a position to to perform. So not like knowing that I'd done enough work to be ready to train or to be ready to play or that um, I'd researched something correctly um, that, uh, you know, so when I was giving a pitch about it, that I knew what I was talking about. Um, those kinds of things, that that being diligent, doing the work, I think allows you to to go in with confidence rather than that feeling of uncertainty or or, or that negativity of uh, I'm worried about something. Um, yeah. and that 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 is the difference for me. Even when you're having a bad game, let's say it's half time, you've had two disposals, teams down by forty, yep. and you're the captain. What would you would you be fine still? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you you can't ignore the situation, but I think you, you get you being able to work through the why, um, and, and rather than internalizing the why, rather you're looking at it from a, a team perspective or what, what's going wrong, what aren't we doing, are we um, are we not good enough? Why aren't we good enough? Um, what what are the things that are letting us down? Um, and and I think that you, you just get better at better at. Um, uh, working through those scenarios and you can, instead of internalizing, then you can start to, to work out from a holistic sense what, what is the, the problem here mm. um, and go about trying to rectify it. Now, sometimes you, you're not successful in rectifying it, but at least you aren't internalizing the problems. You're starting to, to look at it as, okay, well, what what can we do? What, yep. what, what do I need to do? Solution-based thinking. What about, I've got one for you. This is where I've struggled probably my later career I come off injury, like I just never was injured. So mm. it was, I was always confident going into games. Tommy, you're a gun runner. You'll outrun everyone. But I was that unders, and I remember playing my first game for the Giants and I just knew that my preparation, you just talked about preparation. Yep. It was as bad as I'd ever had. I'd had like one or one game in the, you know, in the twos, played well, trained a couple sessions, yep. come off a bit of a, um, a soft tissue, but a small one. Um, and was never, I'd never been more nervous in my life. Ended up tearing the tendon that game, right? But mm. that's irrelevant. But in that moment, I was just thinking about what you were saying then. Would you be more nervous going into a game off an injury or not? You would still back all that other work that you've done and trick your mind? Because I felt like it got the better of me knowing that I'd always been so durable. And the one time I come back from injury, I was really nervous. Yeah, I think injuries, it's natural to to have some residual um, feelings about injuries, especially soft tissues, because um, you understand that you've done all the work, preparation, but then there's a game scenario that's very hard to simulate in in a training environment. So um, I used to, uh, like soft tissues, I think, um, you know, you used to have a little bit of a, okay, you know, this could ping on me or there's a bit of an uncontrollable here. Um, but there was also like, uh, I remember, you know, when I tore, tore my tendon and I came back, um, I, I was so confident in the amount of work that I'd done, um, and, you know, being conservative with the rehab, um, making sure that, uh, you know, I, I had to the best of what we could is simulate an AFL game in, in the training sense. Um, and, and so I was there and confident about it rather than thinking, oh God, I'm you know, this could pop on me again. Um, so I, I think that that, um, that is about the rehab and, and, and being able to listen to the people who are there to give you the right guidance mm. and the right information and trusting what they're saying. Uh, and that's where people who work in, in sporting environments and sporting clubs as a um, professional, they're so valuable um, and so important for those guys to establish a base, a relationship of with the athletes, you know, one built off respect and trust. Um, and when you can do that, then the athlete, I always found that the athlete would be really um, engaged with them and you get a much better result. Um, mm. And so that when when you had great supporting people and great fitness people and great, uh, uh, I guess, rehab people in your club, um, you, you would tend to get much higher results yeah. because because you just have, uh, there was a rapport built with the, um, with the, the people who who they were um, responsible for. Yeah, well said. Well said. And you're right. You, you do a mountain of work. It's different work, but you know you've done everything you can. And, and you, tr in. you trusted, you know, like when you knew someone cared about you, um, we had some great support staff um, and people who are still in the industry now. Uh, give him a plug. Give him a plug. Jared Wade, he's, he's the head of Collingwood. Like I was thrilled that he, you know, was part of that, um, you know, Collingwood Premiership because I know how good of uh, a guy he is, how much he cared about um, cared about us, 
um, how diligent he was, um, and how knowledgeable he was. Paul Turk's a guy who just got a job back in um, Western Australia. Like I was thrilled for him because I knew how much he put into it, how much he cared yeah. about the people that he was there with. Um, and so uh, you really um, – you're very thankful for those people. When you've got great people like that, um, you're thankful that they're there because you can sense the care that they have for you. And there's no wonder that, you know, like you said, your mate that just won at Collingwood, like they, they get success. There's so much. Yeah. So they, they wouldn't have got a mention. That's why I said mention their names because yeah. they don't get a mention because there's so many other people, you know, on the outside. But when you get that many in a building, it's yeah. good things happen. And Well, it's that, you know, it's the saying the, it takes a, um, a village to raise a child. It's the same as a premiership. You know, like it takes in a complete organisation working in symmetry um, with, and great people they all contribute. Um, they, there's only 22 that are out there playing, but um, they all equally have a very important role in achieving success. And you can't do it unless everyone there is there for the right reason and a good person. Yeah. Nah, well said, mate. Very good. Well, that's uh, that's halftime, Wispy. We've got our halftime segment coming up. Here it is, the halftime segment here brought to you by our friends at Pilot. If you don't know who Pilot is, men's health company. Uh, before I even give Pilot a plug, how, like when you when you're feeling a bit sick or you need you know you need something, do you do you go to the doctors? You can't be bothered going to the doctors. Pretty poor actually. Pretty Tom, poor. Yeah, I've got to get better. Well, at mate, it. that's why we've got Pilot here because <laughs> it's a they're online and you can book via the phone, so you can just go bang consult online. Um, and if you've got any issues, you know, whether you're in the bedroom, can't, you know, you're a bit soft, well, hard made easy, uh, pilot are where you want to go. So any men out there listening that need a little bit of help, not feeling well, got a few issues, it's all confidential, it's all online, you head to pilot.com.au, you get a consult, you don't have to worry about booking a doctor's appointment, you don't have to line up, you know, you don't have to think about it, you just go bang, it's all, as I said, confidential, and our friends will look after you. And not only that, when you do get your script, it's delivered free delivery in Australia. So fantastic there. Now, speaking of pilots, we know that some people out there do struggle with premature ejaculation or erectile dysfunction. This is our segment, Job, linking in with that. Your biggest flop on the field. Biggest flop. Um, well, I think the my most obvious one and biggest one would have been my first year pre-season, we used to do the Maribyrnong River run on a Saturday morning, Tommy. <laughs> yep. Done it my, a few times, the, Mar- the Marby. First uh, first session, they gave me a seven-minute head start <laughs> around the Maribyrnong, <laughs> probably a four, 4K four uh, trip. Eighty <laughs> uh, Schwegler, the property steward, beat, beat me home. We <laughs> 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 a seven-minute head start. Big Schwegler. <laughs> Big Schwegler went, went straight past me and I was last by about 300 metres. <laughs> That is a floppy jalopy if I've ever seen one. <laughs> that is a real flop. That's um anyone out there, Swegs is the is the property steward now at the Giants. So I got to meet him um for a couple of years. Great man. He was at Essendon he was Sheeds. Essendon a long as, uh, time, yeah. yeah, long time. And very funny man. Jeez, does he rip the players? <laughs> <laughs> you ever wanted you, some feedback on how you were going? Go well, to Swigs. I didn't even need feedback. I knew how I was going. I think I was walking around with one leg and he just told me I was a waste of a list spot every day. <laughs> but you let him beat you around well, the Marby with this. I didn't let him beat me. He just did. <laughs> that is a flop if I've ever seen one. And like I said, if you're going soft at home or you can't get it up, head to pilot.com.au. Use our discount code ACES20. You'll get 20% off your first order. It's a one-time use only. Pilot.com.au. Job, that is a flop if I've ever seen one. 80 Swegler feeding you home with seven-minute head start around a 348-kilometer <laughs> track at Marby Park or Marby River. Let's get into um, off the field. I really love um, diving into your career as an athlete, um, and a lot of people out there would have really enjoyed all those tips you gave. But now it's about kind of promoting sport, only yeah. sport. And we, everyone that's coming on this show clearly loves their sport, and that's why we're excited about this new concept, Only Sport. What are the sports that you've fallen in love with? Clearly, you played AFL and you did it really well, um, but what sport is your favorite and which ones do you love the most? Favorite sport is the NFL. Uh, it's passion. The, uh, the love of it started when I was probably about uh, 10 years old, and I used to watch the, uh, the games with my old man. Um, I remember watching uh, like the the ninety 
I think it was a 97 NFC Championship game between Minnesota and Atlanta where Atlanta upset them. Um, and I just have the vivid, vivid memory of sitting there with dad watching it. Um, and he introduced me to it. Um, he loved the NFL. He went over there in the 80s. And uh, he's got a great story about um, trying to buy a, uh, a genuine Raiders jacket in Oakland, California. And uh, he got told that this is the spot where you got to go. And he walked down the street and, and knocked on this guy's door. And the guy answered with a shotgun, <laughs> asking, what did you want? And he said, oh, I got told that you got these jackets. And he said, oh, you shouldn't be, shouldn't be walking around the street in this neighborhood. And, um, and then he, so he got the jacket. He got the jacket. He got the jacket. And then it, someone, someone pinched it out of his car back in Melbourne. Oh. So he went to all that trouble. But, he um, got shot for the jacket and he's yeah. been stolen. Yeah, down in Oakland. Oh, that is scary, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, back in the day. That is, uh, was it a big leather? Was it yeah, one of those? Big Lurette Raiders ones, they, yeah. They are, they are like a vintage collector. Like yeah. they're hard to find. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so yeah. we never got another one. No, never got another one. Is that why you go for the Raiders? That's one of the reasons. Yeah, yeah. they're um, that's fantastic. What you are you happy with the head coach change? Um, well, it seems like there was. I think uh, Josh McDaniels is obviously an excellent fo- uh, football brain, um, but seems like there was a disconnect between his his ability to manage the team and his ability to be a play caller at the Patriots and. Um, I think when when you lose the, the, the team like it sounds like he did, um, the the right decision is to 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 move it on before it becomes too cancerous. Yeah, now well said. I thought it was a great move. What else about the sport NFL do you love? Like, um, there's so many factors with yeah, NFL. I think that for me, it's like the idea that you um, it's so strategic. You know, like uh, I guess. There's this there's, there's ath- the athletic side of it that uh, I think is uh, they're phenomenal athletes, but then the, the strategy and the acumen that it must take to play, and and that how how much it needs to be coordinated and choreographed for things to be able to work out, and and therefore it, it, there's a, such a big influence of not just the athletes but the people around it as well. You got play callers, you got um, <clears throat> you know. Uh, an offensive coordinator is trying to outsmart a defensive coordinator and and the strategy behind it is, I think, is what is appealing as the athleticism. It's like chess, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when I talk about sporting events, what has been the f- best event you've been to live? Uh, college football is probably the best I've been to. Um, uh, that's uh, I've never been to a World Cup or a um, a Super Bowl, but the the atmosphere of college football uh, I think is um, unrivaled. Which game did you go to just to give some pits? Give, give me the details of this day. Uh, well, I've been to a few. Um, Austin, Texas, is a great place to go and watch football because you can walk to the stadium. It's easy to get to. It's in the heart of the city. Um, you've got Sixth Street there, which is yeah. where all the bars are, and um, it's a great. Great town. Um, been to um, Eugene, Oregon, um, to watch the Ducks play, and that's a great, um, great stadium to watch football um, as well. And uh, the the tailgating and the college fans. I, I've I've never been to like the South. I, I'd love to go down to um, uh, Georgia or Alabama or um, even the Swamp, um, somewhere like the that. Swamp would be cool to watch uh, a, a college game. Um, but uh, yeah, those of uh, SC is a great place to go and watch um, college football, and um, yeah, all over the place. Even like I, I'd love to go, you know, watching the game last weekend between Ohio State and Michigan. You know, like that would be phenomenal. Oh, wow. One hundred ten, hundred twenty thousand there. Um, some of the traditions as well. I think that you know, with college football that they do and the the music that they play. Uh, I just think that there's, it's just a great. Um, great historical part of the, the their sport and and those traditions have translated you know hundreds of years they're still doing the same things you know it is awesome yeah and Cro- um i was with cross and a few of the boys when i was in la recently and they had yeah. homecoming it's just so cool that everyone gets back everyone that's been to the college and they invite everyone you know open their arms and welcome them all back it's a it's a real family involved you know like everyone goes back and always supports their college yep it's crazy. Do you think that there's anything that we can incorporate from the college and the NFL and NBA to a sense into this AFL and anything else in Australian sport? Or do you just think it's a one of one over there? I think the the, the uh, fan engagement is getting really, really good here in Australia. Like I think what Port Adelaide have done is phenomenal with, you know, with um, what they do before the game. Like people, people will, 
will want to go to a Port Adelaide game just to experience that. You know, so if you can come up with um, with something that becomes synonymous with the, the sport, with the, the club, um, then you will attract a, a whole new audience um, and not necessarily people that love the game, but just people love what the atmosphere is and what, what the, the culture of the, the organisation um, has. And, and I think that the more um, engagement, you know, like going up to the Gabba and listening to uh, Country Road when, when Charlie, when Charlie kicks, a goal. kicks a goal. Like that is, that's, it becomes an experience that people want to do. Like, um, you know, I, I would want to go and watch, um, you know, the Ohio State-Michigan game to just to, to be there to see the rivalry or go and watch the Packers play up in Lambeau Field just to just to be there. So I, I think if, if um, the football clubs or, or sporting organisations in Australia can tap into things like that, then all of a sudden they become a really coveted experience mm-hmm. rather than just people who want to go to the game. They more actually just want to experience yeah. what it is. More than a game, more like an, yeah, an experience. And you've got to go to this game, even though they might not win, yeah. you'll have a better day. Yeah, you're just, yeah, it's just a great thing to do. What, what, okay, let's put let's put the hat on. Essendon, if you, if you were uh, you're in, in charge of events, marketing, marketing events, events yeah. the works, for day, just for round one. Yeah. And I don't know what the fixture is. Well, let's just say it's at, at the MCG or Etihad. What is it? Not Etihad. It's called, what's it called? Marvel. Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> I've called yeah. it Etihad. Anyway, one of these stadiums, right? What would Joe Watson do? Just <laughs> you complete just one round only. So there's no Oz kick. There's, you've got control of all the breaks and all just one of the breaks. But what would you do before the game, after the game? Yeah, I think that the things that seem to work the best are like a, a pregame, um, music event. Uh, I think where the whole crowd can get involved. And there's these famous ballads that, you know, people just know um, the songs to. Um, that's probably, I think that that's the, like the lowest hanging fruit in, in what I would do. Like whether you just get a, a song that's, um, you know, the, the whole of the uh, audience knows and you just play it before before the game, you know, three minutes before the game, yeah. the whole crowd sings it. Like, I, was, I don't know if you saw the um, the World Cup, you know, the Irish after they won singing the Cranberries. No, I haven't seen it. The, if you go and have I'll a look at the clip, it. and it's the whole crowd after they win um, uh, singing Zombie. Oh, really? You know, like, and it's just unbelievable. And so um, I, I think that that's what uh, – you know the the clubs should organize. You know should tap into. Love it. I, I, I love when they do the race. You know when they race. The, oh, yeah, the guy yeah. runs on the boundary line. I yeah. love that one. Um, I think about NBA. I love the the half court shot for you know yeah. a million dollars or a car. Yeah. Um, I love all that kind of stuff. I just try to. Yeah, I reckon they're the I things. Think that, yeah, the things though that I mean, and this is just a personal opinion. The things that I think re- that resonate most to me is when you get the whole crowd experience. Yeah. I think music is the best way to get full crowd experience. Yeah. And then that experience becomes something that other people want to experience that don't necessarily support the team that you're gotcha. that are playing in. Got to do something different. Yeah. What yeah. about dance cam? Uh, Wouldn't work. Uh, Kiss cam seems to work Kiss really well. Kiss cam hilarious, yeah, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kiss cam's always fun <laughs> to watch. Um, the NHL do it really well. The hockey, I think they reckon the hockey do it well. The mascots do it like the um, you know the the bulls mascot that sort of thing like those people are like really um, famous because they're yeah. great entertainers. Yeah. yeah, even the um, the, I was at the Knicks game and we I got you know the t shirt guns. Oh yeah, yeah. I caught one man in like the second. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Like the gun could only just reach me. Our seats weren't great, and I yeah. was on the second level, just on the fence there. And she's popped like who'd you push out of the way? No, nah, I was it? on the I was on the rail, and I'm not joking. Yeah, it was like I was sitting in third slip, and the ball just come <laughs> right at me. Yeah. I didn't move. I just saw this gun. I'm like, that's coming at me, and literally, <laughs> and it was like hit me in the chest. I was like, I can't believe it. I probably paid five hundred bucks for this shit seat because it was New York. You know, the Knicks. Rip week two yeah. and I was like well, I can't believe I've just caught a t-shirt I reckon that's another one they could do the the old lemon gun looking things and yeah. fire some t-shirts but no nah, I love the American culture I think it's um, I think it's something that we can do better down here and we're getting there we're we getting are. there yeah. but yeah. yeah you're right music gets the juices flowing Um, when next question is you've been around you've met some cool people who's the coolest athlete that you've met and hung out with and really break down the story for all of the people out there all the aces that are tuning into only sport and tell us about the experience um my favorite uh person that i met was um i was a big che- a big chelsea supporter 
And this uh, was when I was 17 years old. I went to um, Stanford Bridge to watch a game and we're standing in before the game starts and um, Frank Lampard comes over and uh, chatting with him. But I was a huge Gianfranco Zola fan. Like I thought he was just a magician of a player. And so I was really, really excited to meet him. He's a little Italian fellow, not that not at all, but he came over, I shook his hand and and I was starstruck as, as a 17-year-old. Um, and I just uh, – that. That's something that I've just never, never forgotten that uh, that experience. I just loved it. That's yeah. awesome. That's all. I thought you were going to say Didier Drogba. Oh, I, I, Didier Drogba. Um, a few of the boys met him. I wasn't there at the time, but they got me a signed jump, jumper from him because I was a huge Drogba fan. That's too. massive. Yeah. yeah, Frankie Lampard used to take the free kicks, didn't he? Yeah, I used to play Lampard. FIFA with um with Chelsea all the time. <laughs> it was Drogba and Lampard every yeah. day. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, my next question about sport: If you could be Anyone in the world that plays sport right now for a week, you get to be them just for a week though. It's all over after a week. After a week, it's gone. Who would you love to live like for a week? Um, well, I think probably probably now is um, Mbappe from uh, uh, from France. I think just like, you know, he's 23 years old. He's the king of football really, you know, now that Messi and, and Ronaldo are starting to sort of transition to a later part of life. Um, you know, Paris Saint Germain. Um, you know, like he's uh, he's the man. I think for as a twenty three year old, he'd probably be the one. And what would you do for that week? Like, what was something? Is just a head wobble down the street? I like, think what? So. <laughs> <laughs> just probably walk down. We wouldn't be able to walk down the street. No, I exactly right. Paris, like, what but... would you love to do uh, besides well, you, just game day and moving like him? Like, what what would you love to do as McBappe? Um, well, I think just just to head out with head out with the uh, the French crew, <laughs> get in the car, go for a drive. <laughs> have a nice car. Yeah. Have a nice car. No, it's good. I um I, I thought that would be a good one. So you've gone the soccer out there a couple of times. Are you a massive soccer fan as well? Not as much, no. But I just I was I was thinking about the NFL. You get so. Um, beat up, so I was just thinking the same as the basketball. You're always traveling, so I thought uh, yeah. soccer's like uh, you know a bit more, I guess, world. Uh, recognition. It's big. It's big. It's one of the biggest in the world, isn't it? Um, if you were to create uh, your own TV show and you had to create a pilot, big yep. plug to our friends at Pilot, but a pilot episode, a TV show, what event in the world would you go to to shoot that pilot episode and why? I reckon you could do a great, uh, a great TV show about f- uh, fans going to the World Cup um, and like their journey to get to the World Cup. Um, I reckon that would be pretty entertaining. Um, you know, you could wherever it was set, you probably set it in Europe somewhere, and just the the morning that they had to get to their first game or something like that. Um, I reckon that would be, and you could just the, the show would be the the six weeks or the four weeks of the World Cup, and you cover all the countries that kind of you know go along the journey with the best fans and correct, and you'd yeah. see the emotions of the loser and the winners and what yeah. it means to them. And because like wherever you are, really the whole country stops. And the whole focus, I mean, the whole world's focus is the the World Cup, but the, particularly the country that's hosting it. So if you think about, uh, I think it's, uh, you know, uh, Canada, America, and Mexico are hosting the next World Cup. Um, uh, you could just follow different um, people in different cities and, you know, the experiences, the fun, like all those. I remember friends who went to um, – Germany in 2006, you know, they still talk about Kaiserslautern and and the the the, the stuff that they did then, you know, like and it was just phenomenal. Yeah, it'd be a great pilot. I um yeah, that'd be that'd be good. Let's uh two to go here, two to go and uh two good ones to go. Uh who is the greatest athlete of all time in your opinion, Wispy? Uh well me it's Brady. Um just being being able to do what he's done for the entirety of his career, and you see how difficult the the sport is to play, um, and what it takes. Uh, I think I read a stat recently that he never took a snap where he was out of playoff contention in his career. Yeah, right. Never snapped a ball where he couldn't make the playoffs. That's unbelievable, isn't it? Okay, let's stay on Brady. Since he's left the building at the Patriots, yeah. they've all gone south, every single one of them. Do you think Brady now has proven that Bill Belichick isn't, wasn't as pivotal as we thought he was? Or do you think, like, you know, okay, we shouldn't compare, but I'm going to. Tom yeah. Brady 
leaves wins at the Bucks. The Patriots, once he's left, have gone as far south as you could, as quick as you could. Yeah. And uh, it's looking like, you know, as we record this podcast at the start of December, that, you know, there's rumors that Bill's going to leave and go somewhere else. The rumor is charges, but who knows? Yep. Do you think that's because that's how good Brady was? I think that um, it, it, the, when they talk about being the most important position in sport, it is um, even more than what people think. You know, like um, this guy talks about, you know, uh, a good quarterback is a great deodorant for a bad, t- bad team. You know, and and it is. You know, it can cover a lot of bad um, habits or or things. A, a mediocre team can become a contender with a great quarterback. Um, I don't think that you can win uh, for as long as he did by and touching on what I talked about before uh, by having great people all throughout your organization, like the Patriots did. So I don't I don't think that um, you can say that Belichick isn't the greatest you know, head coach of all time, because I think he is. Um, but what it does show is the importance of the position. Um, and I think it, it probably amplifies the greatness of Brady. Well said. So what I've learned with what you've just said is Bill needs to link up with another great quarterback for him to be a chance, and then they'll be great. And at I, the I moment, think the game proves that you need to be consistently great. Yeah. You need a great quarterback. And while we're on this topic, because there's a lot of NFL fans out there, and we'll touch on it, why don't teams – you know, I've seen some teams just go through the motions with an average quarterback for a long time. Why mm. don't they make a play like they did for Aaron Rodgers? Yes, he did his Achilles, he's much older. But why do you think teams don't do that? Like, I, I would have thought it's the first piece, an offensive line that can protect a quarterback. Yeah, I think I think that what it's shown is it's very hard to evaluate quarterbacks. You know, like a, even um, people who do it for a job and a living – you know, it, it, the draft shows you that it's just a very, very difficult position to be able to project, and it's a very hard position to evaluate. Yeah. Um, and th- th- it's still private ownership too. So you've got – you're at the behest a lot of times of one person's decision-making. Which we just saw with the Panthers. They reckon they've Correct. just sacked their head coach, offensive coordinator or QB coach, and they wanted Stroud and – the, the owner said, no, no, we want young, young, and now they're sacking him because he's not producing. That's right. That's uh, the politics behind it, isn't it? Well, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's where it becomes difficult is, um, you know, you, you're dealing with people who are very successful in a field. They pay enormous amount of money to become the owner of the team and invariably they want their say. Uh, and, and they have that dynamic is always going to provide tension, I think. And it's always going to be a handbrake as to why um, success might be limited is if you're employing people to for an expertise that they're supposed to provide, but then you come over the top and you tell them what to do. If you were the owner of a franchise, would you let the, the, the gurus do all that? Like, how much of a say would you have? Yeah, well, I, I think I would only have a say if I felt like I had prepared myself enough to be able to be qualified to have a say. Um, and that's probably difficult when you've just paid six or seven billion dollars for something is to then go back and say, okay, well, I actually need to learn about it if I'm going to have an influence on it. Um, and, uh, I think that the, the great owners understand like that, um, it takes a long time to build a successful organization and a successful culture. Um, and sometimes you, you need to be able to, recognize that the, the culture part starts first and needs to be looked at first before you just get the people in, in and thinking that a high draft pick is going to be your savior or, or um, you know, you, you're just going to need, if you pay the most money, you're going to be successful. Mm. I noticed uh, one more on NFL. I noticed the Steelers sacked their offensive coordinator. So I think Matt Canada had 44 starts and didn't get over 400 yards combined. Yep. Um, and they had a 400 yarder. But the day before, he was in, you know, the first game before he was employed and then the first game after. Yeah. And it was their first sacking since, I think, 1964 yeah. in season. I think that's right. Yep. That shows you the culture of the place. They clearly don't like getting rid of people in season because yep. it does become a huge distraction. But clearly, he had to go because, you know, they've, made, they've changed the whole script for him. Um, does that come down to the coach, you think, Tomlin, and how good he is? Well, I think it's the organisation of the Roonies since the Roonies took over the um, the ownership of the Steelers. I think they've had three head coaches in that time: Chuck Knoll, um, uh, Bill Cower, and then Tomlin. You know, so they understand that um, 
you know, it's it's very important to have um, uh, continuity uh, to get the right people in there, give them the chance to be successful. I mean, I don't know what you think, but I, Tomlin is is an incredible coach um, in terms of. Uh, the way he speaks, um, he, the play that he gets out of his play is like the Steelers are not a great side, and I think they're seven and four. Um, and to me, that is the ability of um, their coach to be able to instill the belief that they don't need to be the most talented team to win, and they mm. just grind out ways to win. He gives them the best opportunity to win. Um, you have a look at some of the. Uh, like you have a look at what happened with Antonio Brown after he left the Steelers. Like he sort of imploded really about you know what happened with him. You think back and go, oh, you know, how much management did Tomlin have to do <laughs> yeah. to keep this guy on track? A lot, know? I think. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that they, he he's a reflection of what that organization values. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Uh, all right, our last question. You don't come on here empty-handed, uh, as, you, as you know. I've got you another pair of uh, rigs. We're going into summer, Wispy. I'm getting a lot of uh, compliments about the, the cherries. Uh, yes. Yeah, a lot of compliments. I Tommy. love that. The cherry Soho I gave you, yeah, didn't I? Yeah, they're, um They're our number one seller. Are they? Yeah. I yeah. thought I'd mix it up today. Okay. We've just got our Tribeca Tortoise G15 Polarized Lens. Um, so anyone out there that wants a pair of Rick's Eyewear, head online at rickseyewear.com.au. The tortoise for the summer. That's Beautiful, it. I know right? you're off to Perth soon. A few <laughs> boat parties I'm here in Wispy. You've got the hat as well there. So if anyone out there wants a hat, there's a few there. That's yours as well, mate. Yeah. Um, you, leave mate. them on for me with my yeah. last question. This is my last question. I think I know half the answer now because of what you've just said. Lunch outdoors for three with Rick's on. Okay. Keep two, cut one. David Beckham, Michael Jordan, and Tom Brady, who are you going to cut out of those three? Uh, I'll cut Bex, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Keep Brady and Jordan. And and uh, I keep thinking back to that clip we were talking about pickup earlier on, that famous clip in the Bahamas where Jordan and Brady are playing against each other in a game of three-on-three. I just would have loved to have been sitting there watching watching that life. Do you think if you're at lunch, you'd say, boys, I really value our time, but can we just play pick up for 30 minutes <laughs> after? What would be the first thing that you asked both those lads at lunch? Uh, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ask Jordan if he wanted to have a bet because <laughs> I know that wouldn't end well. <laughs> I reckon he'd take it. Like, that's the problem. But he, even if I won, he'd keep going up, keep going up to a position that it couldn't Well, afford. after a while, Kat, you can keep going up. <laughs> uh, I, I just think I would like to – I mean, two, two most competitive people in sport that I've ever seen and then just uh, uh, ask them about – how they were able to replicate that competitiveness over and over again. Would you ask them who's more competitive? It's a good question. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let yeah. them go at it, yeah. sit back and have some lunch. <laughs> Very good. Mate, thank you so much for your time. Um, this is our brand new show, Only Sport. It's a 12-episode series. This is the first one. Um, a huge shout-out to our friends at Pilot. Like we said, everyone out there, if you want to go to the doctors and you can't be bothered lining up or organising an appointment, you head online at pilot.com.au. You book in. It's all online. Use your phone. Um, and if, uh, yeah, you need some treatment, make sure you head to checkout and you use the discount code ACES20 for your first uh, order and you'll get 20% off. And if you live in Australia, it's free shipping Australian-wide. Wispy, thanks so much for your time, your stories as an athlete, your love for the game of sport, you know, when a game of sport, all, this, all the sports that you love, clearly NFL being the one. Um, David Beckham, very stiff, very <laughs> Sorry, stiff. Bex. I'd love you to take some, you know, I think out of all three, he's probably, oh, well, Brady's a good looking rooster as well. It's, I mean, that, that three is as good as it gets. Um, we'll mix that up as it goes, but we'll stick with those three. Thanks, mate. All the best. No problem, Tommy. Merry thank Christmas. You. you too. And um, to all the aces listening, thank you for your support. That's us done here. Only Sport, episode one. We'll see you next week for episode two with Hayden Crozier. One more time because I really mean it. I just want to say a massive thank you for all the support you continue to give us at the American Aces. If you want to further support us, make sure you like and subscribe, hit the follow button so you can keep up to date with all our exciting shows and announcements. Righto, now it's time to give our sponsors a massive plug. Struggling to make it to third base before striking out? Wood not driving like it used to? Let me guess, tackle's gone a little bit soft? No stress. If you're having issues in the bedroom, like erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation, Australia's favourite men's healthcare provider, Pilot, has all the clinical tools you need to get your game back on track. 
thousands of Aussie men come to Pilot to get simple, discreet, and clinical treatments online. Pilot has free shipping, auto refills, and free follow-ups over text with practitioners. Get started today at pilot.com.au. And remember, play hard until the final whistle with Pilot. Aces, I know I always talk about the Rixies, but I've got to offer you the discount again in case you've forgotten or in case you're sleeping under a rock. We have a special discount code for everyone that listens to this podcast or watch the podcast. It's Aces. Head online to rickseyewear.com.au and use the discount code ACES and you'll get 20% off. That's right, 20% off, one-fifth at checkout and free express shipping. So head online, rickseyewear.com.au and check it out.